Welcome to Cabana Chats, a podcast about writing and community brought to you by The Resort, an international community of writers based in Queens, New York City. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. In this episode of the podcast, I get to be in conversation with the wonderful Tracy O'Neill. I just really wanted to do the work, you know, and um, it's in a way exactly that hard and that simple. Tracy O'Neill is the author of the novels The Hopeful and Quotients. In 2015, she was named a National Book Foundation 5 Under 35 honoree. And in 2012, she was awarded the Center for Fiction's Emerging Writers Fellowship. Her writing has appeared in a number of places, and she holds an MFA from the City College of New York, as well as a PhD from Columbia University. Tracy was the editor-in-chief of the literary journal Epiphany, and while there, she established the Breakout 8 Writers' Prize with the Authors Guild. She teaches at Vassar College. Tracy and I talked about jobs, adventures in education, and the importance of being around other people. This was a really fun conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen. Okay, so I am here with Tracy O'Neill, and I'm so excited for this conversation. Tracy is a wonderful writer, um, but to get started, as we always do, I would love to just say hi to Tracy. Thank you for being here and ask if you could briefly introduce yourself for our listeners, a little bit about yourself, where you are in the world, your life, even outside of your writing, just to kind of situate where you are in the context for what we'll talk about today. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm always happy to get to talk to you, Catherine. Um, I am here in Brooklyn, New York, as we speak, right by the BQE um, with my dog, Cowboy O'Neill, who I think is minorly internet famous at this point. And I mean very minorly, but um, yeah. And um, I am the author of the novels, The Hopeful and Quotients, and I teach at Vassar College. Amazing. I love that you introduced Cowboy with his full name, O'Neill. Like, let's identify that. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So talk to me about um, you are in Brooklyn. You teach Mm -hmm. at Vassar. Vassar is not in Brooklyn. How does that work for you? So Vassar is in Poughkeepsie, New York. And um, so that is roughly two hours by car from me, um, or you can take the Metro North. It's the last stop on the Metro North. Um, So you can go up there. You can get a really, really great sandwich at Rossi Deli. I think it's actually, you know, Rossi and Rusticeria, or maybe it's Rossi Rusticeria. In any case, a, you can get a great sandwich there. Um, and uh, there are probably other places too, but that that and Popeyes are the only places I've really been there. Um, but those are, you know, two mainstays. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to work on a sponsorship deal with that sandwich joint because it sounds delicious. Um, and I'm going to come visit you in Poughkeepsie and get one of those sandwiches. I mean, frankly, I do feel that they owe me a free sandwich at this point because, you know. You might want to inquire. Sometimes places have these uh, 
punch cards for frequent whatevers. And I have sure. not noticed that is true until 10 coffees or sandwiches in. And they're like, would you like a card? And I say, well, I would have liked a card 10 sandwiches ago. Oh, yeah. OK, I'll definitely ask about that. That's my hot tip to you. So you. you're you're welcome. You're in Brooklyn. You're teaching in Poughkeepsie. So how long have you been teaching at Vassar now? Because I think it might be interesting to talk about how you go between these two places. Maybe you have people who are in your writing community at these two places. Does that intersect at all? Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it doesn't really merely because so I, I started the job in August 2020. Um, and as it happened, you know, the school was um, sort of doing a hybrid thing at the time. So I moved up to, but I moved up to Poughkeepsie um, for the school year last year. And, um, you know, I didn't really actually know anybody yet. <laughs> um, so I sort of mostly continued not knowing people all year. But this year maybe is the year for, for that to happen. What Fingers you were talking crossed. about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh -huh. It's good to get to know people. That's interesting that you started this position at a time when we were all remote. So um, I guess there's there's pros and cons there, right? Like you were needing to adjust to a new place, but you were also in the same position as maybe everyone else you knew who is at any other place in the country, right? Can you talk a little bit about um, how you maybe felt about that experience of being remote in your first year at a new position like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was definitely strange because I just sort of moved into this like one bedroom apartment and didn't really leave it for the whole year. Um, I did make a couple of, you know, a couple of friends, um, you know, along the way early on, but um, you know, those are friends who I saw, you know, outside, um, maybe in like September, um, once or twice. And, you know, then when it got cold, um, you know, people mostly, you know, stayed inside, you know, so it was, it was a, a year that was really, um, very much about sort of testing the limits of telecommunications devices, you know? Yeah, that's one tagline we could give the 2020-2021 year. Sure. We tested our telecommunications devices. Yeah, um, exactly. 2020 is sponsored by Verizon Wireless. Oh, my God. The, way, yeah. the, the year we tested so uh -huh. many things in our sure. minds, in our hearts. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. So what was what was that like for you as a writer in a, in a situation where, okay, I'm, you know, you're inside... Um, you are not able to maybe meet people in this new place in person as you would mm -hmm. in a normal, more normal year. Um, mm -hmm. What did that do to your writing process? You were inside this new one, new to you, one bedroom apartment. Um, mm -hmm. It got cold in Poughkeepsie in the winter. Mm -hmm. Did did that foster writing for you? Were you totally distracted by the weirdness of it all? Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, I think that there were different phases of it, honestly. So, you know, early on, um, after having moved up there, you know, I was obviously just adjusting and stuff. But um, at one point, um, I reviewed a Don DeLillo book, um, his most recent called The Silence. And in some way, um, it felt really apropos. I don't know if you've read it, Catherine, but um, for those who are listening um, who maybe haven't read the book, it's a really, really slim 
volume. And uh, the premise of the book is, is essentially that um, all of these screens in the world suddenly go dark. And so there's really just four characters in the book, but um, they're really disturbed by this. They don't really understand what's happening to them. And the book culminates, um, so it, it, it's, it's set um, you know, on a Super Bowl Sunday, and the book culminates with this guy who was supposed to be having his friends over for a Super Bowl party staring in front of this blank screen. Um, and... You know, it's it's I think a totally um, a really beautiful austere book, and it felt like exactly the the right book to be reading and thinking about in that particular moment. Um, you know, of the pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, so that you know, in some ways, it was I you know I think there was um, I don't know like I guess like Dick had to call it like synergy, right? Um, mm-hmm. But um, but then we you know in, in the spring you know things were a little a little different. I think. Um, you know, at a certain point when I wanted to be working on more narrative work, I really craved, um, you know, hearing people's voices, you know, and that was one of the reasons that I wanted to come back to the city. Um, you know, it's, of course I have friends here, but it's also, I think, catching these weird little snatches of half conversations that, um, are so much, um, sort of a part of, um, my aesthetic, but, um, you know, also, uh, you know, just where I get a lot of ideas from, like, you know, today I was taking a walk, um, or I wasn't taking a walk. Let's not lie. I wasn't exercising. I was going to get a sandwich. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sandwich queen, Tracy (laughs) O'Neill. Exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, I was on the way to get a sandwich and there was this guy, um, who was like in the middle of this breakup, on his phone, um, you know, on his electric bicycle, you know, um, and, you know, I just thought like, wow, like this is, this is so perfect, you know, not for him, of course, um, probably less than ideal for him, but, um, you know, it seems like exactly this sort of, um, you know, weird moment that I think is so important for writers, um, to sort of come into contact with where you sort of remember that, um, that reality is more arbitrary um, and strange than we often remember when we're in our routines and by ourselves, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely something that I, I'd missed over the past year, just even being on a subway train and overhearing, or even not even a conversation all the time, but observing some interaction or even way of sitting on the train, you just pick up so much about other people being around other people. Sure. Um, And I, I do want to say, side note, I did not read that book, but last summer I did read Severance by Ling Ma, which was like the perfect time to read Severance in the middle of a pandemic. For anyone who's unfamiliar, there is a pandemic and it starts in New York City. And I highly recommend the book. Um, but I, I, I taught that book last year and I oh my goodness. had... I had um, a lot of sort of quibbles with myself. You know, I couldn't tell. It's like, is this exactly the book that people need to read right now? Or is this just like smacking people in the face at this point? Yeah. I'm so interested. How did your students respond to studying that book at that time? Oh, they really liked it. Yeah. They loved it. Yeah. And in in fact, it was very sweet. Like um, one of my students like came to office hours to tell me that she had read ahead in the book. 
That's always a good sign. That's yeah. an enthusiastic student, enthusiastic mm-hmm. about the work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but that, that I was thinking, you know, that uh, observing people on the street and going for your walk for your sandwich and getting a snippet of dialogue or, you know, sitting on the subway train or whatever. We think about community and a lot of people talk about, okay, writing community and do you have a writing group and um, who does feedback on your work? How do you think about community in these ways? But I also like to think about where we're situated in the world because the community of people around you impacts your writing in that way, right? They give you the material sometimes like that, right? So I'm glad that you brought that up about the poor man on his electric bicycle, having that experience, great details too, by the way, signs of a writer, you're picking up on the details, the electric bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. Um, But I do wanna ask Mm -hmm. if you do have a community of writers around you, a regular community that directly impacts your work in, a feedback capacity or, um, I mean, I know that also you have been, you give feedback yourself as a teacher, but who gives feedback to you and your work? Do you have anything structured set up for that? Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a writing group. So if you have any recommendations, Catherine, uh, <laughs> send, send them my way. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't have a writing group. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, it works for, um, a lot of people and it could even work for me at this, um, point in my life. But, you know, one of the reasons that I didn't have a writing group for a long time is that there were so many years that I was so unbelievably broke that I was just working a hundred jobs all the time. And there was just really no way for me to be able to schedule like one more thing in my life. And that really only ceased to be the case, um, you know, like less than a year ago, you know? Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this point in my life where perhaps that is the next move, but yeah, I haven't, I, you know, I didn't have that before. I I did an MFA years ago though. So I guess that's sort of like a writing group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I know that some people continue that, uh, like a writing group from their MFA, and some don't. Um, It depends on your MFA experience oftentimes, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you you meet a bunch of people um, who, um, you know, you're interested in in your MFA, then that's a a really great move to make, yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. You can find those people in other places as well. I don't have some immediate writing group recommendations for you, but I know that now that you're ready for it, it will come to you. Yeah. Um, okay. you, yeah. When, uh, maybe, when you maybe mentioned- people are going to respond to the podcast. This is going to be like a, like a weird, like not like Craigslist misconnections or something, but I'm just going to start getting emails from people who are like, Hey, want to be my writing group? Uh, if you do, you have to let me know. I love that. I will follow up, uh, and have a follow-up episode with you to see how that goes. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned having, you know, like 10 jobs to support yourself. And I think that is something that a lot of writers can relate to, Mm -hmm. uh, to have these jobs to support yourself. But you've also, you've also published two novels. So clearly in that time you managed to also write. Can you talk about how you're able to prioritize your writing, even when working so much that you didn't even even have time for a writing group? I just really wanted to do the work, you know, and um, 
you know, I, I, it's in a way exactly that hard and that simple, you know, if, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times when people ask these questions about like, you know, how I did things, I hesitate a little bit because I don't necessarily want to endorse some of the ways that I did these things, right? Like I wouldn't necessarily say they're, they've always been, you know, like healthful choices or, you know, anything like that. So it's like, yeah, maybe it's meant like, you know, like not, uh, like, you know, not sleeping and making weird choices. Like, I'm pretty sure that there was a solid like eight years where I ate like two slices of pizza a day or something. I was like, you know, like if I just like only eat one time a day, then like, I don't have to work as much, you know, like crazy stuff, you know? Um, so, you know, but that was something that, you know, I was, I was willing to do. It doesn't mean it was really like the right thing to do. Yeah. Right. I love how you say it's as simple and as hard as that, because that, that really rings true. Um, I, I remember early on in my time in the city in the late nineties or something, I was working at an art supply store and just working overtime just to make enough to pay my rent. And I would get home super late and buy like a thing of cup of noodles at the corner deli just to eat one thing that day. And one day I opened up the top of the cup of noodles and there were maggots inside of it. I'm like, how, how did that happen? And I tossed it and like, well, I'm not, I'm not eating today. I will tell you something. I do not miss those days, Tracy O'Neill. Yeah. I do not miss those days. Um, but then you get, you know, a little bit more ease in your life. You're not in a situation where, you're working 10 jobs anymore. Yeah. Does having more time decrease any kind of urgency in your writing or is it just like, great, now I can write more? Is it, was it, is it harder to write with more time? Do you have more time now? Does it feel like more time? I mean, I very much know quantitatively, I do have more time and it, it, there's not even a question about that. Um, you know, I think as it happens, um, you know, it, that kind of um, coincided with when my second book had just come out, when I had just finished um, my PhD, when I was making this move. And um, so, you know, I wouldn't say that the last year has been the most, and of course the pandemic, right? So um, I, you know, I wouldn't say that it's been my most productive year, but I also um, really believe um that I'm sort of never not writing, even when I'm not writing, which is to say that like, you know, some of the most important work that you do as a writer, you know, I think happens in your mind, right? You know, and I think it's sort of, um, for me, like when the work is is really working is when it becomes a sort of constant um, movement in my mind, even if I'm doing something else, it's like, you know, I'm on the subway or buying groceries. Like if I'm still thinking through problems, it doesn't matter that I'm not getting like, you know, 500 words or I don't, I don't even know what people do, but, um, you know, it's, it's really about that, that process. Cause I can write 500 words of bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. whenever, um, right. but, um, but that work of thinking through problems and thinking about what's important or, you know, what I, you know, what I care about or what do I think is a great sentence or, you know, what was the thing that I read recently that I really liked? Why did I like it so much? You know, like that's all, um, that's all part of the work too. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I hear 
that a lot, and I'm always glad when folks say it that the writing is not always just the putting words on a page. It's it's a a lot else that's going on. So that you know, hopefully people don't feel guilty that they didn't get whatever their 500 or their thousand words down today. It doesn't always work that way. That's not the whole part of the process. There's other things that are happening as you're writing, as you're thinking through the problems uh, of what you're working on. But wait, just back up for a second and pause because you slipped something in that I forget about, though I know it, but I forget about it because you're so quiet about it. You have a PhD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You decided to go to it through a doctoral program. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that part of your life? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, you know, I did it completely, I did it completely the wrong way. Um, (laughs) In the the sense that, um, you know, people who are really serious about uh, being scholars, right, they'll go, uh, they'll apply to um, PhD programs with um, an idea of what their research interest is, like what the big question is, perhaps that like they're trying to answer in their um, scholarly endeavors. And I will tell you that I think I didn't really understand that that was how it worked when I applied. Um, And I just felt like I wanted to, you know, like learn things and like follow sort of like curiosities. And I thought like, that's what a PhD program was about. Um, And I was lucky that I kind of got away with it, you know? but, um, but yeah, that's, you know, most people do it in this other way, which is, um, you know, probably, um, you know, a, a lot more, um, I mean, it's, it's a more direct line. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Like yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking like, well, what is it that I'm supposed to write a dissertation about? Like all I wanted to do was sort of like read some ideas and like some history. Like, isn't that enough? Like I remember get, even though of course I, I was new, I was supposed to write a dissertation. I remember coming to the end of the coursework and feeling um, totally irrationally bitter that like I had taken all of these classes and now they were asking more of me, you know, I was like, like, you know, why isn't my thinking enough for you people? You know? (laughs) Oh, that's a great response to a doctoral program. Uh, what, what is your PhD in again? It's in communications, which is basically like media studies. Okay. And was your identity as a fiction writer present in the classroom at all or among your fellow students? I mean, they, they knew, they, like, I think they knew, so at least within my particular, like, program, I guess. But, you know, I took classes in other departments and stuff where I wouldn't know anybody. So, yeah. That's very cool. Does, um, as you've now completed the program and gotten through the bitterness, and all, I think anyone who goes through a PhD program has all kinds of negative feelings of different kinds along the way, but... Um, does the work that you did there and the reading that you did there impact or have a, a direct connection to anything that you're writing or working on now? Well, I mean, it was a huge influence, I think, in quotients. Yeah. So, you know, I am not sure. So there's sort of a subplot in quotients that is about um, sort of a failed journalist. And um, I'm not sure that that would have been there otherwise. And in fact, I'm not sure that I would have even become so interested in thinking 
about um, the relationship between, um, say, you know, like surveillance and technology um, and intimacy if I hadn't have been doing that work. Like I definitely, um, before the program, like already was thinking about writing this book that um, was thinking about surveillance and, and intimacy in a more sort of like shallow way, right? In the sense that I was interested in thinking about this man's psychology of having worked in, a, in the surveillance industry, trying to then move on with his life and have a family and, um, you know, have a relationship. Um, but I don't think that I would have necessarily, um, gone as deep into thinking through, um, you know, what it means for us to live in this particular moment of mass, of mass surveillance. Right. And I don't think I would have been thinking about sort of the politics of it quite as much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, there you go. The, whatever is happening in your life or whatever things you're taking on, they're all feeding in. They're all a part of your interests. Your interests feed into your writing. You had an interest that developed through your PhD program into this novel, Quotients. And it's really fascinating to hear about. So thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. yeah. So we're we're getting near the end of our time here together. And I guess I would love as we end just to mm-hmm. hear from you as we continue into always, well, wild and difficult times in the world ahead and presently and forever and ever and (laughs) still partly in virtual land. Now, what are you hoping for community wise as you move into the months ahead in your life? What, What would you like in terms of community? You know, in a lot of ways, I think, um, what I'm, hoping for would be, um, I guess, sustaining, really. So even though, you know, as I mentioned, I'm not I'm not part of a writing group, um, I have a lot of really incredible friendships, um, I guess. Um, and I, you know, both with writers and with people who are, are not writers that, um, you know, I don't want to behave as though the function of them is to support my writing, but happen to also... Um, you know, do that, um, in, you know, in a number of ways, whether it's that, um, you know, when you're like a grown up, you know, like you actually, uh, don't necessarily naturally have somebody to talk to about like, say books you're reading or, you know, narratives that have been interesting to you or so on and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I'm really lucky to have a lot of friends who, um, are interested in talking to me about um, those things that I'm interested in and also um, are freaking weirdos themselves that I'm curious about and that draw my attention to things that are outside of, you know, my sort of habits and tendencies. Um, so, um, so yeah, you know, I think I just want to keep, uh, keep up with that. Totally, Tracy. Yes to friends. Yeah. Yes to weirdos. It's all good stuff. I love it. Thank you so, so much for being a guest here on our podcast. It was really great chatting with you today. Totally. Thanks so much for having me. I will see you soon. I'll eat some pizza with you soon, I hope. Awesome. I can't wait. Okay. Bye. Dear friends, that brings us to the end of this episode of Cabana Chats. You can find out more about our guest, Tracy O'Neill, at her website, tracyoneal.net. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. 
I encourage you to join our free writing community online by going to community.theresortlic.com. We have a ton of great resources there for writers, as well as information about our membership program and information about upcoming craft and publishing classes that we are offering. Our podcast editor is Craig Ely, and our music is by Pat Irwin. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. If you liked this podcast, please consider telling a friend or rating and reviewing us. It all helps more folks find the cabana and be part of our community. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you next week in the cabana.